Welcome to EdView 360. I'm going to get right to it. I want to begin by asking you directly, yes mm-hmm. or no, is handwriting an important skill to learn? Absolutely. No question. I think this is something that, you know, over the course of my career, there have been waves where handwriting has been, you know, de-emphasized. But I think it's really clear that this is a critical part of literacy. It's a major player in literacy. You just heard Laura Stewart, National Director of the Reading League. Ms. Stewart is our guest today on EdView 360. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EdView 360 podcast series. We're so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast from my native New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we are excited to welcome Laura Stewart, Educator and National Director of the Reading League. Ms. Stewart is our guest today for EdView 360. Welcome, Ms. Stewart. Well, thank you. Hi, Pam. I'm really delighted to be with you today. Oh, we are so excited to have you, as I said before. I love the topic we're going to dive into. But before we do that, you know, Ms. Stewart, you have had an impact on teachers, administrators, and college students throughout your career. Before we dive into our topic today, please share your journey to your current role as an educator. Oh, well, sure. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been in education for a really long time, uh, <laughs> really long time. Um, and it's been, a, I would say, a, a rewarding and challenging career. I started out as a classroom teacher. I've worked at the building level and district level as an administrator. Um, I've taught at the college level, and I've worked in lots of different professional development initiatives around the country, um, including one in Jefferson Parish, kind of in your backyard there. Also worked in the state of Wisconsin during the reading first years. I've also worked in organizations. I was the VP of professional development for the Roland Reading Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization. And I was also the chief academic officer for professional development at Highlights, Highlights for Children. Some of you might know the Highlights magazine. So I've had a lot of, you know, kind of varied and different experiences. I have written a book. I have presented nationally, internationally. But I I would say that the through line of my work has really been my passion for and my commitment to early literacy. That's kind of what gets me up in the morning. And um, and it's it's a really I think we're at a really hopeful time in terms of knowing what to do to ensure literacy for all. So I'm really I'm really excited about kind of where I am in my career right now and and the hope that we have for today's children. Oh, my goodness. Such an eclectic background. Um, (laughs) You can say you've done all things in the education world, just listening to the various roles that you have uh, participated in. You know, you honed in on early literacy. Mm -hmm. And just by you sharing that, it just makes me uh, reflect on our topic for today. You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get right to it. I want to begin by asking you directly, yes Mm -hmm. or no, is handwriting an important skill to learn? Absolutely. No question. I think this is something that, you know, over the course of my career, there have been waves where handwriting has been, you know, de-emphasized. But I think it's really clear that this is a critical part of literacy. It's a major player in literacy. Yes. You know, over the years, as you mentioned, it has taken a backseat. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that handwriting has taken a backseat in the educational world? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I, I kind of reflect back on, again, I've been around for a long time and there have been kind of waves, you know, in my career where handwriting's been minimized. And I think the first time I saw this was during the ascendancy of kind of the whole language years when whole language was kind of the methodology of the day. And the emphasis then, I believe, was getting kids to write for expression and meaning. So the thinking was, and I remember this clearly, the thinking was that if we emphasized handwriting, somehow that's going to get in the way of this expression. <laughs> um, you know, and also I think there was the, 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 the idea back then that we had to choose, right? We don't have time for both. So, you know, handwriting could be relegated to a center or maybe a take-home sheet, but it really didn't get the instructional attention that it needed. Um, so I think that's kind of one wave. I think a second wave was when we really started emphasizing teaching keyboarding. And mm-hmm. anytime that, the, again, the thinking was, I'm not saying this was correct thinking, but the thinking was that anytime that we had devoted to handwriting now had to shift to keyboarding. So I think in both those cases, it was really thinking about how are we prioritizing time? You know, we can't fit everything in. Something has to go. So handwriting was was you know, was de-emphasized. But I I do think it's on the upswing for a few reasons. One is I think we're really paying attention to the value of legible handwriting. And as I was preparing for this podcast, I did a little research and I found some fun facts that I think your listeners might be interested in. 38 million illegibly addressed letters cost the U.S. Postal Service $4 million a year. Wow. I know. Here's another statistic. So nearly 20% of hospital medicine orders are returned by pharmacies as illegible. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's a lot of time and a lot of manpower that we really can't squander. So that's one reason I think it's on the upswing. But also we know, and and Stephen Graham is is a key player in this, and he stated that there's kind of an, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him him here, that there's an effect that's a little in, insidious because people judge the quality of your ideas based on your handwriting. Uh-huh. So legibility really matters. And by legibility, I mean, you know, handwriting that can be easily read by many people, you know, kind of, it's a lifelong standard for handwriting. Oh, and I, most definitely. Yeah, and I, and I mentioned Stephen Graham. There's a lot of other kind of leading voices in the area, Virginia Berninger, Beverly Wolf, Karen Harmon James. Um, Marilyn Wolf has written, or Marilyn, sorry, Marilyn Adams has written about this. Louise Spears Swirling has written about this. Nancy Mather. And I think really the, the other big realization that has caused us to pay more attention to handwriting is that we recognize that it's critical to autom- automatize handwriting as a transcription skill. So it frees up working memory to devote that cognitive energy to composition. And it, it's kind of like when we think about making decoding automatic and building that storehouse of instantaneously recognized words so that our brain energy can be devoted to comprehension. There's a parallel, right? If this transcription skill can become automatized, we devote more cognitive energy to composition. And Louise Spear Swirling even draws a parallel to math. She says, you know, if we have a lack of automatic recall, that reduces our mental resources available for advanced, you know, computational algorithms in math. So these researchers, these leading voices have found that automatized handwriting improves the quality and the quantity of written expression. 
So, you know, back when we minimized it and we thought the expectation of legible handwriting would impede written expression, we, we had it all wrong. We were completely off the mark. Right. And we thought that we have to choose one over the <laughs> other. Right. The very specific examples you gave that were very practical in regards to the post office for one. Right. (laughs) And uh, the impact of being able to write legibly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's part of those literacy skills. And Mm -hmm. when you think about that end goal of automaticity, that that says a lot right there, Laura. And I think teachers mm-hmm. can make that connection when we are focusing on, you know, with phonics, we have to understand mm-hmm. and, and be able to retrieve that sound symbol automatically so we can transfer that example to handwriting as well. Yes, exactly. Okay. This is great. Yeah. You, you know, you already answered my next question and <laughs> on how it's making a comeback and why it's making a comeback, which is great. <laughs> and you even alluded to some of the connection between um, handwriting and reading and writing when you spoke to it improves the quantity and the quality mm-hmm. of writing. Can you speak more to that? How does handwriting reinforce reading effectively? Yeah, this, I mean, this is really, I, I find this incredibly exciting. I think you do too, Pam. So I think we're on the same page with this. Yes. You know, so, okay. So legibility counts for the reasons, you know, that I shared before. Um, automatized handwriting frees up that cognitive space. But there have been more advances in our understanding of the importance of handwriting as it connects to reading and writing. So I want to think about, you know, let's think about writing and dig into that a little bit deeper. So You know, when we write, we're dealing with lots of simultaneous demands. We're, you know, what do we want to say? How do I organize my writing? What do I need to do with each sentence? Um, How do I spell that word? So we're really taxing our working memory. So, you know, to, to, to really devote, you know, that optimization to composition, handwriting, spelling, mechanics need to be fluid and kind of internalized, right? And there was actually a study done in 2016 that looked at second graders who had handwriting instruction and they showed advancement in language skills, alphabet writing, spelling and composing. So writing, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence for, again, its importance in writing. Now, thinking about this in the context of reading gets really exciting. So um, alphabet knowledge, language skills, those are important to reading. I think we all recognize that. Yes. And Marilyn Adams, back in 1990, um, said that we need to know the shapes of individual letters in order to read, and that writing, handwriting, aids that recognition. And, you know, Karen James and her colleagues noted that the, the motor act of producing a word by hand results in these tactile sensations in the brain that link letters into a simple written word unit. So I think that really, I would argue that handwriting is a critical piece of foundational reading, right? And, and it gets even better, right? So there's research around the areas of the brain that activate during handwriting. And guess what? You know, it's primarily in that all-important left hemisphere. So that manipulation of thumb and fingers as we handwrite activates the left brain, which we know manages, you know, planning, monitoring, organizing, revising, language processing. And all these skills are critical to not just reading and writing, but self-management and metacognition. So I think the the value of 
you know, the letter formation handwriting just continues to present itself. So handwriting is definitely valuable. (laughs) And to reiterate, we can say that fluency and automaticity in handwriting is a foundational skill. Absolutely. 100%. In all aspects of literacy, we can say, goes back to handwriting. Would you agree with that, Laura? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it. like I said, it's a major player. No doubt. No doubt. Awesome. Um, I do have another question for you. Just leading into the science of reading, how does handwriting support the science of reading? Now, you gave us some examples already. Can mm-hmm. you expound on that? Yeah. So let's go back to the science of reading. Um, you know, we at the Reading League are working with some other like-minded organizations to produce what we're calling the science of reading, a defining guide. And um, any of you listening in today can um, find that at whatisthescienceofreading.org. That's our webpage devoted to that. And we are arriving, we want to arrive at a simple definition for the science of reading. So I'll read to you this definition. The science of reading is a vast interdisciplinary body of scientifically based research about reading and issues related to reading and writing. So if that's our baseline definition, all of what I just shared with you fits well within that body of scientifically based research about reading and issues related to reading and writing. And handwriting really spans both, right? Reading and writing. So the reading and writing connection is detailed mm-hmm. here. What mm-hmm. was that resource again, Laura? Yeah, so um, this is our, uh, actually, it's uh, what is the science of reading.org. And it's uh, the science of reading, a defining movement. And within that webpage, you can find our defining guide. And this is, you know, really designed to, again, we're working with other kind of mission-driven organizations, you know, in the science of reading community to bring to bear a common definition that we can all rally behind, some rationale for that decision, um, you know, what the science of reading is, what the science of reading is not. We have a lovely equity statement. We have a preamble that just kind of sets the stage for the science of reading. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Yeah, and I encourage you to as well. I know I will dive into this guide myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been talking about handwriting, but, you know, people normally think, well, there's print and then there's cursive. Tell us Mm -hmm. more about the two great debates, print or cursive. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so printing or cursive is interesting. So. Uh, Stephen Graham, as I mentioned before, he found in 2009 that the research is inconclusive regarding teaching manuscript versus teaching cursive in mainstream students who do not struggle. However, we also know from the research that A, students shouldn't be taught both simultaneously, and B, it takes at least two years of instruction to automatize a handwriting process. So we do have to choose. And what seems to be prevalent practice is manuscript K2, cursive 2-3. So one argument in favor of this seems to be that most, if not all, text that our K2 students encounter or are exposed to is manuscript. So as we're teaching letters for both reading and writing, this kind of makes sense. Um, However, I also want to add, I listened to a a presentation by the wonderful William Van Cleve, um, and he talked about cursive for students with language-based learning difficulties because it cuts down on reversals. Um, All all cursive lowercase letters begin at the same place. 
it reinforces spelling because of continuous movement. And it reinforces the idea of words and spaces because all the letters of the word are clustered together. So um, so there's not one definitive answer for that. But again, I think there is prevalent practice that is supportable. Definitely, that makes sense. And then mm-hmm. when we're dealing with students with those language-based difficulties, then we would likely shift more to the cursive. So there's not one size fits all, mm-hmm. but in the general population, we've got a standard and then we can adjust for those students who need more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think yeah. that's called scaffolding to student needs. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's talk about handwriting or keyboarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So we have a lot of information on, now, on this now. We didn't for a while, but um, we have enough information now to know that keyboarding just doesn't have the same benefits as handwriting. Now, it, I don't want to minimize it because it does have benefits, surely. But to think that we can replace handwriting with keyboarding, I believe, is misguided. There have been writing with keyboarding, I believe, is misguided. There have been better understanding and retention of concepts and better understanding and retention of concepts and better understanding and retention of concepts. and. That students are trying, when they're using their laptop and their keyboards, they're trying to transcript every word because of the speed at which they can type notes. But with longhand, you have to cognitively, you have to be cognitively active in picking out key ideas and summarizing and drawing conclusions and putting things into your own words. These are higher order skills that require a level of cognition that benefits your retention of the concepts. So there have been studies on this. Um, Three in particular have concluded that college students who took notes by hand performed better on assessments than their peers who typed their notes. And that just kind of makes sense, right? Like when you're thinking about when you're longhand, you have to be really be thinking about what do you want to capture? Um, And then there was another study, Berninger and her colleagues in 2009 did a study where they found that students expressed more ideas and used more complete sentences when they wrote longhand as compared to keyboarding. Um, There was another study in 2016 um, that found that printing taps into letter processing networks better than typing. And uh, there was also, I just read, again, in preparing for this, I read this article, Where Does Handwriting Fit In? by Susan Cahill. She's an occupational therapist. And she stated that, you know, even in an era of technology, this kinesthetic process of writing letters is favorable to the, the act of composition. And I, so to unpack that a little bit more. So when you type, you're hitting a key yes. and that process hitting a key is the same for all letters. Mm-hmm. When you handwrite, each letter has its own unique shape, its own unique formation. So we're kind of kinesthetically imprinting that distinctive shape with each letter. Um, so, you know, kind of bottom line, um, this study with James Jow and Berninger suggests, and I'm going to quote here, the goal of writing instruction in the information age should be developing hybrid writers who are adept with multiple writing tools, including pens and keyboards. I just love it. So we don't have to yeah. choose one or the other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We can choose the best of both worlds. And you know, there's a phrase you use, cognitively 
active. I just mm-hmm. love that. It's all about engagement and retention, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you are writing by hand, you are practicing, you're applying those higher order skills. Mm-hmm. I love it. Engagement and retention. That's what the benefit is there. Oh, thank you. I've just loved the information that you're sharing. What are some recommendations for handwriting instruction? Yeah. So, um, so I think I think it might be kind of cool to look at how children develop in terms of grasping writing implements to think about, you know, where do we start? When do we start? How do we start? So at about one to one and a half years old, kids tend to have this what is called a fisted grasp where they just kind of wrap all their fingers around the writing tool. You know, they use their whole arm to make marks. And at this age, kids just switch from hand to hand. Right. So they're just kind of experimenting at about two to three. They do this interesting grasp that I think OTs refer to as digital pronate grasp. And this is where the child holds the writing implement in a diagonal position across the palm of the hand and the fingers in the palm are facing down. And I just, I have to laugh because I was with my granddaughters uh, last week and I have a two, almost three-year-old granddaughter and that's exactly what she was doing. She's, you know, holding this pen in this kind of, um, you know, diagonal position. And again, at this age, kids might switch from hand to hand. There's no hand domination. At three to four, we tend to see a five-finger grasp again, but this is not a fist. It's where all five fingers are on the pencil or pen or crayon, and they're starting to use wrist movements as opposed to the whole arm. And sometimes this is hard for kids because they're grasping it so tightly. Their, Their hands get very fatigued. But at this age, we tend to see more hand dominance. And then we see this tripod, the kind of typical tripod grasp at around age five. That's where kids hold the writing tool between their thumb and their pointer and their middle fingers. And they can keep that ring finger and that little finger curled under. And this is about about five. Hand dominance starts to really emerge. And I did want to mention the OT community has also, also supports a, uh, an alternative grip where the writing tool is between, is lodged between the pointer and the middle finger. So pencil grip is kind of an, just to think about a child's kind of development is kind of an interesting thing because it helps us to uh, ponder instruction because reinforcing that pencil grip is important. Um, If kids have a cumbersome, awkward pencil grip, it can cause fatigue and discomfort. So we do really want to help our kids get this right. And even though a poor pencil grip can be changed, uh, the older the child is, the harder it is to change. So that early modeling, early reinforcement is really important. So uh, that the understanding that the developmental progress and pencil grip mm-hmm. will help us understand that need for providing instruction on something as simple as how to hold a pencil. Yeah, for sure. And and also, if we think about that, you know, those developmental milestones, there's readiness skills that we can help our kids get, you know, develop for this. So let's, let's think about our preschoolers, you know, fine motor manipulation, like using fingers to pick up objects, manipulate objects, and learning basic strokes like vertical lines and horizontal lines and circles and slants. Those are things that we can do with our youngest, you know, learners in order to help them be prepared for more formal handwriting instruction. Um, now, when it, and then when it comes to that, when actually teaching letter formation, there are 
key principles to keep in mind. So we want to have, you know, have kids get themselves and their paper in position. Position's really important. You know, sit up tall, keep your feet on the floor, keep both arms on your desk. You know, you want your paper slanted slightly in the same direction as your dominant hand. Uh, for cursive, you want even more of a slant. And we might want to do warm-up routines for our kids. For example, things like when they're learning manuscript, help them, quote-unquote, get ready to print by making tall and short vertical lines, making zigzags, making circles, making mountains, you know, which is just like, you know, pointy-pointy, making waves, making dashes. So helping kids warm up, um, you know, proper pencil grip, proper paper position, proper seated position, and then warming up um, for cursive. We can warm up using what are called windshield wiper movements. Uh, Again, mountain movements, wave movements, circles, just warming up our arms and hands and getting ready for instruction. So those are some instructional principles to think about. I also think it's important when we, I mentioned paper and I wanted to mention this too. We want to you know, give our youngest writers wider ruled paper um, when they're just starting out and then narrow the lines, the rules, the lines as they get older. So so those are some things I think that are important to remember. And then I think it's important to remember that, you know, handwriting is taught explicitly. You know, we want to teach each letter. We want to model. We want to use clear verbal cues. We want to make sure kids start at the right place on the line, you know. So when I say clear verbal cues, what I mean is, let's say I'm teaching. So when I say clear verbal cues, what I mean is, let's say I'm teaching. Start at the two o'clock position on the midline. Surgeon. Start at the two o'clock position on the midline. Circle to the baseline. Come up slightly off the baseline. Now that would be lowercase c. Um, You know, a program, the super baseline. Uh, so just having those, the language around handwriting and being consistent in that language is really important. Um, and that's important for both manuscript and cursive. You know, there's another element to cursive that has to be taught very explicitly, and that's joining, you know, joining from letter to letter. So having, you know, again, teaching kids the right position, having the right kind of paper with the appropriate lines. Um, I think having models to trace, you know, starter dots and arrows to help them remember where to start and how to move. I think those things are are very important as well. Very good. You gave us a lot of good information. And so <laughs> I'll just summarize exactly what you, you shared with us. Sure. Pencil grip, highly important. Mm-hmm. Position of the paper. Warm up routines that mm-hmm. are specific to print or it's a cursive, and then that direct, explicit instruction. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, there are various ways to offer that direct, explicit instruction. Uh, you, you talked about naming the lines, right? And some programs, you know, we have a program, Readwell, where we have the hat, the belt, and the boot line. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. So what are some common questions you get around handwriting instruction. You gave us a lot of information. What are the most common questions that you hear from people? Yeah. So um, I, one question I often get is, so what, what do we help kids look for, you know, in their own handwriting? Or what are we, what are we actually teaching kids that make handwriting 
legible. And I, I want to refer to these what are called keys of legibility, which I learned from my friends at Zayner Blozer, and this is their proprietary content, so I did get permission to share. So their keys to legibility are shape, size, spacing, and slant. And that's easy to remember because I'll begin with the letter S. Shape, size, spacing, and slant. Shape is the most fundamental because it's the actual appearance of the strokes. Size is the height of the letter. Spacing is the consistency between letters, consistency between words, spacing between sentences. And slant is the angle of writing on the paper. So this is what we're teaching. We're teaching these attributes of instruction. And then we want kids to self-evaluate on these keys as they examine their own writing. Because one of the aspects of instruction is the modeling and the practice, but the self-evaluation to determine, you know, if this is indeed legible. So let me give you an example. You know, we can have kids look at the height of their letters and ask themselves, are all your tall letters the same height? Are all your short letters half the size of tall letters? You know, do all the descending letters go below the baseline? Are their tails the same length? That type of thing. So helping kids become kind of discerning and self-evaluative is a really important part of instruction. Um, another question I get is, how do we help kids with spacing? Because that, that is diff- spacing is difficult for young children. So giving them props like paper clips or popsicle sticks or just having them use their fingers, you know, um, you know, one paper clip between words, two paper clips between sentences. Uh, I know that when I was teaching, we I took popsicle sticks and I drew like a little face and a little antenna on the popsicle sticks and we <laughs> called them spacemen, right? Love it. Um, so giving kids, you know, those kinds of props. Um, and for slant, to help kids with slant, have them draw lines between their letters in the direction of those letters and then check to see that the slant is consistent. And that works for both manuscript and cursive. So those are some tips and pointers, I guess, that help kids really gauge their own legibility. That's one question. Another question I often get is, which letters do I introduce when? Now, there is no hard research on this, but we can think about what makes sense, which is what we do a lot in in making instructional choices, right? Um, So it makes sense to introduce manuscript letters according to their beginning stroke or what we call their motor stroke family. So in manuscript, we might group B, H, K, L, T, because they all begin with that top to bottom vertical stroke. Um, Now, D, you think is a tall letter, but it would be grouped with C, O, and G, because although it's tall, its beginning stroke is identical to the strokes in lowercase C, lowercase O, lowercase G and lowercase a, right? So think about stroke families, like in cursive, A, C, D, G, Q would be grouped together in the same stroke family. So that's one, that's another question I get. Um, Another question is, do we introduce lowercase and uppercase simultaneously? Uh, Again, no hard research on this, but I believe yes, because handwriting should be taught alongside all the other aspects of each letter. You know, we want kids to know letter names, letter shapes, the sound the letter represents, and its formation. So I think teaching all those attributes makes a lot of sense. Um, I often get a question about reversals. And 
when kids are first learning, um, reversals are fairly common, especially letters like B and D and F and Q, J is very common. Reversals are typically developmental and will improve. Um, in the early stages, it's, it's fairly normal. It isn't necessarily an indicator of dyslexia or another learning disability. I just wanted to, to throw that out there. So those are kind of the main questions I, I often get. Wonderful questions. And you can tell they came directly from educators. Yeah, and for if, sure. If these are the most common questions you have out there, then you've actually answered my next question. And that was about, you know, what are some strategies that educators can use <laughs> to help teacher handwriting on a daily basis in the classroom? You've <laughs> listed a great many of them. Are there any other resources that you'd like to share as well? Yeah, so in, in terms of strategies, you know, yes, teaching kids those, you know, what makes a letter legible, uh, self-evaluation, doing explicit modeling. But I also think it's important to remember um, that this doesn't have to take a lot of time in our school day. You know, one of the one of those waves that we talked about of handwriting avoidance was that we thought there just wasn't enough time for handwriting in the school day. Well, again, I think we had it all wrong because we really can accomplish handwriting instruction and practice in no more than 15 minutes a day. If we think about explicit instruction, you know, I do, we do, you do, we could have five minutes of explicit instruction, five minutes of guided practice with monitoring and coaching, and then five minutes of independent practice and self-evaluation. That can be done as C-work during independent work time, which is totally doable. But I think more importantly, it's this great bang for our instructional buck, right? Think of all those benefits of handwriting that we mentioned earlier. It's, it couldn't be more important and it's so worth the time. There's a huge like return on investment for, uh, for that, right? Yeah. So, so I think that's another thing just to reassure people. Um, and I also would encourage people to look at systematic programs and avoid just downloading stuff off the internet. I think a systematic approach based on the research is really good. Um, and I still think teachers should have to figure this out for themselves, right? So we want to put good resources in teachers' hands to make teachers' lives more manageable. Right. Just 15 yeah. minutes a day to build that yeah. strong foundation, right, yeah, for to improve so. writing. As you mm -hmm. said before, not only the quantity, but the quality of writing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we are nearing the end of our podcast. Are there any final tips you have for educators of handwriting, reading and writing? Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if this is a tip, but I want to offer some reassurance. So Stephen Graham, as I've mentioned before, and his colleagues did a survey, and they found that 90% of first through third grade teachers surveyed teach handwriting, and most agreed it was important. But only 12% believe they received adequate preparation to teach handwriting in their college preparation courses. Um, another uh, leading voice in the field, Jane K. Smith, she found the same, that teachers don't necessarily feel adequately prepared to teach handwriting. Um, and I've heard the same from many teachers around reading. You know, I, I didn't know about the science of reading or evidence aligned instruction myself. And I, I felt a tremendous sense of guilt about, you know, not knowing and not doing. So this is, I don't know if this is a tip, but my advice is to give yourself grace. You didn't know what you didn't know. You know, we learn, we move on from there. No blame, no shame. I love it. Yes. Give yourself grace. 
But yeah. we know now we can go forward and make better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change <laughs> and why? Well, <laughs> oh my goodness. So I believe all students deserve to learn to read, right? So I would create a world in which that is the norm. And I would create a world where all teachers are fully prepared and fully supported to make that happen. I love that. <laughs> I'd have to join you in that wish as well. For sure. Thank you for joining us today at Have You 360, Ms. Stewart. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. Tell us how we can learn more about you or the Reading League and follow you on social media. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure, Pam. Um, yeah, so the Reading League, if your listeners aren't familiar, we're a nonprofit and our mission is to advance the awareness, understanding, and use of evidence-aligned reading instruction in schools. And we really want to increase the knowledge of these science-based approaches and demystify how people learn. And we want to benefit the lives of millions of our students. So, so please check us out at www.thereadingleague.org and find out more about what we do and who we are, or what we offer, because we have many ways we support educators in their work. We have a journal, which is really kind of one of a kind. It's a, it's a research to practice journal. We offer live events. We offer amazing professional development, lots of free and accessible resources on our knowledge-based webpage and our YouTube channel. I have to give a shout out for my podcast. It's called Teaching, Reading, and Learning. And I have had the honor of speaking to so many of my heroes, uh, Louisa Motes, David Kilpatrick, Anita Archer, Parker Palmer, Linnea Airy, Marianne Wolf, uh, so many, along with practitioners in the field too. So please tune in. Um, we also offer, this is really exciting, a TV show for children. It's called The Reading League's Reading Buddies, and it's pure delight. You can subscribe on YouTube, and it's broadcast also on WCNY, which is in central New York. So check that out. Again, Reading League's Reading Buddies. I also mentioned what is the science of reading.org. To find out more about our defining movement. So those are all ways that we're really supporting teachers in their work. So join us, become a member. Also check to see if your state has a reading league chapter and you can join your state's mission as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and you can reach me at Laura at the readingleague.org. Also follow me at, on Twitter at Stuart Laura D. Oh, thank you so much. There's so many avenues to make a connection mm -hmm. with the Reading League and a connection with you, Ms. Stewart. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is Pam Austin bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you. This has been an EdView 360 podcast. For additional thought-provoking discussions, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at voyagerssopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.